Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, the Lightning have some injuries to deal with. What's the status of Victor Hedman, Pat Maroon, and Eric Chernak as they prepare to head to Sweden? And what's happened to their penalty kill? The Bolts now have 14 points through 12 games. Is there any cause for concern? We'll talk to Diana Neros, the Lightning beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, and we'll get you ready for the Bucks at Seattle with Eduardo Encina on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with Producer Steve Versnick, big college football game, of course, as well. Florida, Georgia, and Jacksonville. FSU is hosting Miami. We talked about those games with Matt Baker on Thursday. I like the Gators and the Knolls in those games. I'm not sure why, but uh, I think this might be Florida's year to get to the SEC final. It's going to be a great weekend, by the way, in Seattle weather-wise. 40s and 50 degrees and clear, which is unusual for Seattle, but um, good weather there. So looking forward to that. All right, I'm here with Eduardo Encina, and the Bucks are traveling to Seattle to play at Century League Field, which, by the way, is is one of the hardest places to win. I think since 2012, the Seahawks have won about 80% of their games there. Ironically, Bruce Arians has gone 4-1, but that was with the Cardinals team. So any advantage do you think gleaned from Arians' success there? Those were mostly close games, by the way. Yeah, I mean, those were all kind of crazy games, you know, and there were yeah. games that they really kind of – had to pull out, which is obviously something that, you know, this version of a Bruce Arians team hasn't really showed the ability to do. So, yeah, I think that's one factor there. But, you know, obviously, you know, no matter what, as a coaching staff and as a head coach going in there and having that kind of comfort uh, going in has to help. You know, I think that, you know, the, the Bucks are kind of looking forward to this game. You hear a lot of players mm-hmm. talk about the atmosphere in Seattle, you know, the, the, the loud crowd. And, you know, sometimes on the road, you know, I remember, you know, after that Carolina game, and obviously it hasn't shaken out this way, but, you know, some of these guys have talked about how they're comfortable playing on the road, how they like uh, playing in front of, you know, quote-unquote hostile crowds, and, you know, how that kind of brings out the best in you. Um, the other side, and obviously there is there is a communications challenge there, you know, with yeah. crowds and stuff. I think the Bucks have kind of struggled with that a little bit recently. But, um, you know, no matter what, I think this is a game that they're looking forward to. This is a game that uh, they're – you know, two and five is two and five, right? I think we heard Byron Leftwich say today that you know, he doesn't think they're out of it, but uh, I don't know if you really expect to say anything otherwise. But at the same time, two and five is two and five. This is a game that, um, you know, if they're going to start salvaging their seasons, needs to start sooner or later. And it would be a good good stepping stone to do that, you know, in in a uh, you know in, in a place like Seattle where it's such a challenge to play. You heard all week that this is an angry team that uh, they felt that way after the game. They felt they were better than Tennessee. Um, clearly, they they gave that game away in in many different respects. Um, I don't know how anger translates necessarily on Sunday, but there is there is this notion, and I talked to Kevin Mincher about this, and you probably heard it from other players. Like it's on them now. I mean, look, Bruce Arians. Has everywhere he's been as a head coach has won and he's won right away and he thought this was a re- reload not a rebuild and yet he said to us the other day he's not sure why some of the messages haven't really resonated. My guess is is that they've got one of two things: guys that are really comfortable and okay with losing, um, or. 
they got some young players too. They're playing some really key positions, particularly in the secondary. Um, you know, the, the offensive line has obviously had issues, but even Jameis Winston, this is still, you have to remember, he was in the same system for four years. And Byron Leftwich said today that the newness of this thing is still, still affecting the, uh, a lot of their players. Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable statement. You know, I mean, first-year coach, first-year staff, entirely new offense, entirely new defense. Yeah. A lot of guys who haven't necessarily played together and, uh, like you said, a, a very – a lot of young players who are being dependent on to, to play key situations. So, um, you know, everyone kind of expects a quick fix, you know, especially when under Arian, that's what he's been able to do. Sure. Right. So, um, and they need one with James right. being in his final year. And, and maybe it's just not that simple, you know, and, you know, when you're two and five, I think that kind of comes up to be the immediate response of, of, you know, where this franchise is headed, where the season's headed. But at the same time, I think that is legitimate. You know I mean? I think, you know, even um, you know when we were talking to some players earlier in the year about, you know, this defense, you know, getting a hold of it. You know, they've given up a lot of points. You know, earlier, you know, even in wins they were giving up a lot of points. Yeah. And um, you know, so you know that that's what some of those guys talked about is the the adjustment, especially with some of these younger players. You know, it's it's um you know it's interesting to see now you're getting. Some veterans back, though. You know, you're getting JPP back. You're getting uh, – I think it's interesting that, that Andrew Adams is, is playing it at the free safety spot over over rookie and Mike Edwards. You know, you're, you're getting some guys who maybe are more veteran guys who are a little bit more trustworthy. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, some of those younger guys you – know, you know, you asked, you know, today about Sean Murphy bunting. You know, rookie really, really struggled early on. He did. He's kind of, you know, slowing down the game. The game's kind of mm-hmm. slowing down for him, it's, and you know, and, and as we're you're getting to week nine, so um, you know, this is a process. There's, there's no doubt, this is a process. And you know, when we talk about the the anger part of it, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these guys do translate some of that mm-hmm. onto the field because um, you know, Arian said the other day, you know, it, it's a matter of you know two games and we're three and four. I don't know if it's necessarily you know two plays and they're and they're three and four, but you know. It is a very small, fine line between teams pulling out games late oh, yeah. and, and teams losing games in the NFL. It is a difference of maybe four or five plays each game, and, and those plays just haven't gone the Bucks' way, especially over the past you know three weeks. I've done this before, and it's just the reality of the NFL. This league is very competitive, and it's very close, but you can take literally four plays or five plays and turn around not just a game, you can turn around an entire season. Yeah. You can see a record go from four and twelve to twelve and four sometimes. So that's not unusual in the NFL, but that's what losers do, right? Losers lament. I mean, there's always the play that gets you beat. What's interesting about this excuse me, this game to me is that you have obviously Jameis Winston who's had ten turnovers in the last two weeks. Again, Bruce Arians making sure to say it's not all on him. But against Russell Wilson, who is one of the best of all time in protecting the football, you know, his interception uh, rate is tied with Tom Brady's and second only to Aaron Rodgers in NFL history. So if turnovers in the, in the, you know, the plus-minus ratio is really the biggest determiner of football games, the Bucks have to almost be perfect in this game because it doesn't seem that Russell Wilson will be turning it over. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're going to have to get some – they're going to have to get some, be creative in the takeaways. Yeah, fumble something. About, about getting takeaways. It's about getting creative because you know uh, Russell Wilson is, is – he's so great at not trying, not just turning the ball over and protecting it, but just knowing – he's so good at his decision-making in terms yes. of when he takes a risk, 
It's a calculated risk, and it's one that when you look at the numbers, he's going to be able to make that play much more often than it not being executed. So, you know, they're going to be, have to be really creative in how they turn the ball over. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there, there, you know, there are a lot more emphasis on, you know, getting that helmet on, on the football, you know, trying to jar it out. Um, from, you know, whether it's running backs, receivers, whatever, um, they're, they're just going to have to get a lot more creative in, in how they get those takeaways. And, and, you know, some of it's luck, you know, some of it's execution, but no matter what, that, that's what they're going to have to do this week. I think because of the noise out there, and we've seen it be a problem in New Orleans, we've seen it, uh, you know, certainly last week uh, when they had the miscommunication in Tennessee, uh, the fumble, you know, the snap that was you know, bounced off of Winston's face mask and such. That's going to be a major factor in this game. There are two ways to quiet a crowd. Um, one is to run the football, and the other one is to get a lead, right? Try to get up on a team and try to take that, that crowd out of it a little bit. They haven't run the football very well for a while. Now, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, when you get behind two or three scores, you got to abandon the run. Um, but it seems like they need to get Ronald Jones and or Barber or Ngubawale, somebody going in the running game to slow down this pass rush that the Bucks are struggling with right, right. now. And, and, and you say those two factors, and those two obviously come in concert with each other a lot, is you yeah. know, when you get a lead and when you're able to carry a lead, you're able to really kind of run the ball and, and keep force defenses to kind of keep you honest. But, sure. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt that the past couple weeks, uh, you know, the, the running game just hasn't been there. And part of it has been playing from behind and, constantly playing from behind you know from from jump street yeah they were playing from behind so as as my boy joe madden would say from jump street yeah but um you know it it is one of those things it's it's it's, you know as much as it's about taking what deep you know the quote-unquote taking what defenses give you and stuff like that you know you can take in control of a game a lot easier when you have a lead oh yeah You you can dictate the pace and you know i honestly liked the way some of those games that were close or maybe they did have a lead kind of played out with you know, leaning on guys like Ronald Jones in the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, and you know we, we kind Those of are joke, your joke about man. it. That's your Mariana like, Rivera, yeah, right? Exactly. So, um, and it's, you just got to get the ball in those guys' hands, you yeah. know. And um, you know, you got to put some faith in, in 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 that offensive line and the guys you keep back. That uh, you know, they, those guys are going to be able to open holes too. But um, you know, I just I just feel that they, you know, as much as the the Bucks don't have a quote unquote, you know feature back, I guess you could say. You know, they've got some guys who can run the football and you need to get it in their hands and, and you gotta get it in their hands when you when you're trying to kill some clock and when you have control of the game. This is the end of a very long seven weeks, right? That the Bucks have not played a single game at Raymond James Stadium from since September twenty second. I don't even know if we know what entrance to go in through <laughs> anymore like, at this point. I think it's gate D, but it, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I certainly don't know what, what it feels like to wake up on a Sunday morning and, and drive down the street from your home and sleep in your own bed on Saturday night. The same is true for these players. And, yeah, they're professional athletes, and they'll play you in the parking lot of Walmart, and you hear all those things. But we've flown not with them but as many miles as them during this um, situation. And, yes, we're not professional athletes, and we don't have compression socks and Blu-ray glasses. That said... I can attest, I'm sure you can too, this has been a grind. And, and they still are looking at a cross-country as far as you can go almost in the NFL from Tampa, Florida to Seattle, Washington. Um, how much impact do you think, now that we look back on it, do you think this schedule 
and and these trips have sort of had on this football yeah, team? There's no doubt that it's it's there's an effect, and you know, I mean, like. You know, Bruce Arians, I know we, we, we talk a lot about the sports science department that they yeah. they utilize, like you said, the compression socks, the blue you know, the blue frame the blue lens glasses and stuff like that. But you know, you never really know how the body's gonna react to things, you know, like right. who's able to sleep on a plane, who's not able to sleep on a plane. Good point. Who's who's able to, you know, really just kinda who's who's used to it. You know, I mean these rookies you know, when you're playing in uh, the MAC, yeah, they're, they're, your games are a lot closer. So for younger players, it's a challenge. For veterans who maybe, you know, their bodies are kind of, you know, beat up, beat up. You know, it's it's a challenge. So there's no doubt that that it's affected them. Yeah, one thing that Arian said the other day is he thinks that the key to this will be, you know, not necessarily how they react here in Seattle but how they react next week you know what i mean cuz then yeah. that that's when you know you're you're coming back from that the residual stretch, effect the residual effect from it you know coming back 3 hours whatever yeah. and when they went to london they had a week off you know that's true. you know london's trip was what 9 hours this yeah. one's going to be 6 or 7 yeah. you know so it's not that much of a difference when you think about no, it's it as not. as bizarre as that might sound so you don't have that off week to prepare you've got to prepare for a game against the arizona cardinals next week and and that's really kind of he said that's going to be kind of the, the quote unquote telltale of of, of how this team responds is you know responding to that after coming back from a cross-country trip and still having to go through the you know the regular routine of a game week preparation so I, I think that'll be really interesting to see no matter what happens on on uh you know on Sunday the final hope I would think and we can wrap it up with this is that we saw Justin Jason Pierre-Paul um, play his first game since that car accident back in May nobody was really sure what to expect he didn't play a lot. He didn't play a lot of snaps. He's typically out there pretty much for every snap. But we saw his impact literally on the first play. I mean, Shaq Barrett gets a bit of a triple team but still gets off the ball. May have even been offsides. But um, you saw the one-on-one, and Jason Pierre-Paul puts the quarterback on the ground. We saw some tackles for loss as well. I would expect him to play more in week two than he did in week one now that he's come back and, and seems to have responded to whatever – um, you know, residual effect of playing the a whole game. What potentially could be the impact of Jason Pierre-Paul since, since they'll have him for the remainder of the season, no trades were made, of him, Shaq Barrett, Carl Nassib, Sue, and even, uh, you know, the big guy um, in the middle. Vita Vea. Vita Vea, whose name escapes me. Um, what what impact can 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 having those bookend tight or bookend defensive ends or outside linebacker rushers do for the Bucks? Yeah, so so obviously you know we saw like you said we, we saw him make that sack on his first snap, uh, his first defensive snap of the game. But you know his other his other tackles were really uh, enforced. You know the the, the the what is already established as a really good run defense. You right, know? right. And so when you add him to a run defense and his ability to, to rush the passer, you know. That front seven, you know, came was, alive. Yeah, it really came comes alive. You know, yeah. just adding him to it does so so much. Yeah. You hear, you can hear Jack Barrett talk about it when, when we talked to him oh, yeah. to him this week about you know just the, the smile on his face about the idea of having JPP and and J, JPP whose snaps are going to gradually increase. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, obviously the whole push from the inside with with Vey and Sue. You know, they've they've done that all year. You know, I mean, they, they, those guys. They, they they probably don't get the credit that, that they deserve. Right, I think right, in right. those positions because it's it's kind of a grimy. It's not job. a stat job. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's you're not going to see it in, in in 
you're not going you're to see it in grades, but you're not going to see it in maybe, you know, any kind of sacks or anything like that. But, but I think that both those guys have done a good job with that, with pushing the pocket. And obviously we've seen Barrett, what he can do. You know, Nassib, I thought, had a really good game last week. In London, week. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, in London and, and even la- last week. You know, um, So, you know, you've got a kind of a rotation here with those edge that's rushers. That's the key. That's I think the key. that's the big thing go- going to – right now as we're in, you know, week nine and above, you know, like – JPP's fresh. You, you know, got fresh legs. Sha- Shaq Barrett might not be fresh. Carl Nassim might not be as fresh. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when you add him to that mix, I think that's the big equalizer. Yeah. Is the fact that now you've got these three guys who can all be kind of impact players uh, on the on the edge, and you can kind of move them around a bit too. I mean, we saw JPP kind of Rush all inside. over the place. Yeah. He was on the inside. He was on the outside. He was on both both sides on the edge. So you know, and that allows you to do the same thing with Nassim and and and, and Barrett too. So I really think that the. Moving forward, this is really kind of one of the strengths of this. As much as they've given up points and as much as you know, the pass defense has, has struggled, this run defense and those front seven and what those guys can do. And, and let's not forget, like when we talk about the front seven, and, and we'll write about this tomorrow, is you know how much how important it is to kind of start seeing Devin White come into his own. Showing up, you man. Know, he's 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 really started to show. You saw it on the on the the fake uh, field goal. Oh yeah. Is is he has you can see those instincts that he has sideline to sideline and the the playmaking ability and the speed that he has sideline to sideline. I talked to Levante David about that uh, earlier in the week and he was saying, you know, how amazing it is just to see that. You know yeah. what I mean? That, that that's something that, that you know you can't really coach, you know. No. And and as the more that the game slows down for Devin White, the more snaps he gets. We're, we we kind of forget that this is a guy who really has only really played two, you know, three or four. And full gets games. back in football shape, right? Right. And uh, yeah, it, that's another part. And then it slows down for him. You know, when he was hurt, we, we heard a lot of people on, on the Twitterverse talking about how he was a bust pick already. But this guy is going to continue to be get, getting better, and I think you're starting to see the flashes of it. And I think when you put together that front seven, it, it, this might be even a more frustrating part of it. When we look at those guys good. and we think about them being two and five, but that unit as as a whole of you know how good they are and maybe how they might be one of the best you know front sevens out there and that that's saying a lot because there's a lot of really good ones but yeah. when you see these guys and what they can do and what they can do together when they're all together on the field uh i think moving forward in, in, into even this season it can be something special what a boost it would be if the bucks can go out there and get a win against the seahawks they come home after that and have five of the remaining eight games in raymond james stadium they're hoping to turn this thing around. Byron Leftwich said, don't count us out. The season's not over yet. We'll see. Great analysis, Eduardo, as usual. We'll be in Seattle. We'll be eating some salmon. Oh, yeah. We, it's going to be I'll great. I'll be throwing the fish to you in the market. Yeah, man. <laughs> We're going to Pike's Market, man. I'll tell you what, man. I'm going to catch a big salmon from you, man. I'll tell you, I can't wait. All right, Diana Neros joins us now. And, uh, Diana, some crazy games, especially in New Jersey on Wednesday night. Uh, the Lightning uh, down two goals in the third. They take the lead. They give up the extra attacker goal, and then they force overtime and win it. So um, just describe for me, I mean, that's sort of – we've seen this before, uh, and, and I think you put it well in your story that, you know, they, they sort of uh, followed an old script to overcome some some problems, right, by outscoring the team. Yeah, I mean, this was something they did a fair amount of last year, uh, outscoring their problems, and they they haven't been scoring at that same rate uh, much this year. And um, somebody tweeted at me and said, you know, well, hey, why should we complain about scoring this many goals? And, well, you're right, scoring seven goals is good. However, if you have to score seven goals to win a game, 
it's not a great recipe. Uh, they were not playing a very good team. New Jersey's at the bottom of the league. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, and it took them seven goals to win. And that's just, it's a short-lived recipe. And they all, they all said that. None, no one thought they played the way they wanted to play. But the problem is they've been saying that for um, a month now. And, you know, we haven't really seen it yet. So they need to, to put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and be able to address some of these issues, particularly with the penalties. Yeah, penalties have been a big story for them so far early this year. I thought I think it was you. You asked a good question of John Cooper. You know, he's been talking about sort of the need to handle adversity in a sense, and we'll get to the injuries in a minute. This was one of those moments, right, where um, they had to find a way to win, and they did so. It's very possible they're going to pull this all together, have a great season, and we're all going to point back to the start of the season and say that was the adversity where they learned how to play through things. It's just hard to predict that right now. So, you know, they said that they are learning these lessons. Um, Andre Palat said, you know, every every one of these games, you learn another one of these small lessons. So if they pull all of these lessons together, if they learn to stop taking the penalties, if they take the resilience to score seven goals when each of your lead evaporates, those are good lessons to put forth going forward. So you just kind of need them all to come together in one cohesive package, not this lesson here, that lesson there. It's very possible. Come April, we're going to point back and be like, ha, remember when they started the season this way and we all thought it was a problem? Well, turns out they learned it all and put it all together. You just kind of can't predict that sitting here now. Oh, that, and that's the key, right? I mean, they've got 14 points through 12 games. Um, I, I don't know how worried Lightning fans are or should be, but it ha- the schedule hasn't exactly helped them out. I mean, they, they've only had four home games through those first 12, and they have a, another one, of course, in New York um, and Long Island, and then, and then two in Sweden. So this, I would think that this is part of it, right, that, that not being at home very much, not getting that rhythm is, is also having some impact. It definitely is. Um, you're right about the rhythm um, or the lack of rhythm. Um, but as much as they've been on the road, the travel hasn't been especially difficult travel. This, um, mm-hmm. the trip that we're on right now, the team's staying in the same hotel all week and busing from Manhattan to Newark, New Jersey, and then to Long Island. So there's mm-hmm. some consistency in kind of, you're not moving constantly. You're not getting on a plane every night. You know, those trips are harder. Um, sure. it's still travel. It's still not, you know, as easy as being at home. And starting a season with four home games is far from ideal. Uh, so they're definitely, you're right, there's not the rhythm. Um, even when they get back in November, uh, the latter half of November after Sweden, it starts to look a little more normal, and then it kind of catches up in December. They play mostly home games in December. I think they have two one-game trips in December, if I remember correctly, to Nashville and to Fort Lauderdale. 
So uh, hopefully, you know, we see things kind of even out schedule-wise in December, and we'll have a better idea of what that really will look like. Of course, a big story for them so far, especially uh, recently, has been injuries. I think three or four guys may have made their NHL debuts in the, in the last uh, few days. But Victor Hedman, Eric Chernak, and, and Pat Maroon have all been out, out at one point or another, still out. Um, so what's the uh, what's the – I know they don't give you a whole lot of information, but sort of what are we thinking with those three guys? Well, the other one you didn't mention was Anthony Sorelli because he has come back, which right. is a good sign. So I'm going to start with the positives. Uh, we were sure. missing Anthony Sorelli, and he came back. Um, Eric Chernak uh, is the shortest term, we think. Uh, John Cooper said mm-hmm. he might be able to play uh, tonight against the Islanders. Um, so that's – that's promising. And then um, with Hedman and Maroon, they were both put on IR, but there's a but here. They were put on IR because it was the only way to bring players up. IR means mm. you can't play for seven days. The Islanders game is the only game they're going to miss in that seven-day span, other than the, the Devils game, but they weren't available for the Devils game was the whole point. So... They probably weren't going to be available Friday or they wouldn't have taken made this move in general. But this is not we don't know what their status is, but being on IR alone is not a sign of that we should panic because there wasn't another game they were gonna miss. They will both be eligible by by the injured reserve rules. They'll be eligible to play both games in Sweden. What their health status is is unknown as of yet. We haven't had a chance to see if they skate yet so that part is is still the question mark uh cooper made a comment you know we got to get headman back so the sweden games are coming uh, he's obviously mm. the lightning's headliner for this trip so everyone wants him to play uh there's just no no sign yet of exactly uh what that looks like um the team will um you know practice once they get to sweden um but they don't have any practice schedules other than the morning skate um to, to really get a good look at him. But IR is not a sign that you need to panic. We need more information before we start worrying about those Sweden games. Well, those are some big players to uh, to, to worry about, but uh, we'll take your word for it, of course, with the IR. And that's created some opportunity for some new guys. Uh, one of them made his debut the other night. How did uh, Alex Volkov look? Volkov looked good. Um the special teams kind of messed things up for the, the flow of five-on-five, five. so he did not uh, get as much opportunity as you kind of would like to see for him. Uh, he will likely be playing again Friday night. Hopefully that game's a little bit smoother, see a little more of him. But he looked really good in training camp. Uh, he said that his big focus was addressing the defensive side of the game, that he knew he had skill, he knew he could score, he needed to address the defensive side. And... We saw that, and the coaches saw that, and Cooper has commented on that, that he became more responsible. So um, he then got hurt in the last game of the preseason and missed the start of the AHL season. So this could be a really good shot for him to get a, a, a look, get a taste, show something. And you know, now that he's healthy again from the hip injury, I believe it was, um, to just demonstrate he's done that defensive work and he fully believes he's he's ready for the NHL. So now we'll we'll see what it looks like. We got our look, of course, at uh, Curtis McElhinney uh, as the backup goaltender. They chose him over Louis Domingue this year. How has he played? And and maybe not the way he would have scripted his first win on Wednesday. 
Definitely not, but it was good to finally get the first win. He had <laughs> a couple of great games with no support in front of him that turned into losses that if you uh, judged goalie win-losses purely on goalie performance, he would have had two wins already. That's just not mm. how we calculate any of this. It's actually why I'm not a huge fan of the stat, but that's beside the point. Um, yeah. It was great to see him finally get a win. The uh, Schadenkirk and Palat both commented that they uh, the team owed him that one, and um, you know we're, we're really glad to see him finally rewarded with a win. It's uh, an odd game because of how high uh, scoring it was, but he also turned away a lot of shots. He saw, I think, 42 total shots in the game, um, another one of the Lightning's issues that they need to address. But so it's one of those where he let a lot of goals in, but also made quite a number of saves. So uh, not the way he probably wanted his first win, but he finally got it under his belt. And overall, he's looked very good for the Lightning so far this year. And a lot of those shots have come not just against him, but this year, um, of course, uh, in, in, the, in the penalty situation uh, when they're on special teams. So penalty kill was, was, you know, the best thing they did or one of the best things they did a year ago. Now they've lost a Girardi and Strollman. So is that sort of why we're seeing a little bit of an adjustment phase here, you think? I don't know if it's that might be a – that's part of it for sure, but I'm kind of not going to let them get off too easily that way because they've got the same forwards. Um, Anthony Sorelli was one of their biggest penalty killers, Cedric Paquette. Um, one of the things that assistant coach Derek Lalonde, who works with the penalty kill, said was teams are evolving. Teams have seen what they do, and they are adjusting. And now the Lightning needs to make their counter adjustments. And some of it is a confidence thing that you get a little shaken. You know, this has been an issue and now you're trying too hard. And that sounds like mm. such a stupid thing to say, like you're trying too hard. Don't you need to try hard? But it's kind of the same things we all face in our lives that when you're focusing too hard on something, you're overthinking it, you're not doing it right. Whereas once you yeah. kind of can relax a little bit and say, Oh, I know how to do this. This is my job that I do every day. It goes mm. more smoothly. And so right now they're falling into that, little bit of a stereotyped trap of every little thing on the PK seems so magnified and every clear is like, I need to just get this out of my zone now versus the, okay, take the puck, control it now clear. You know, I'm oversimplifying it a little bit to make the point, but it's just, that's kind of where they are right now in the PK. And it's, it's not even that the system is so broken as much as it is now that just, any little issue makes it seem even more broken and they're all trying so hard to do something that they're not quite slowing down and doing it the right way. Makes sense. They got some, uh, of course, we've talked about some of the new players uh, uh, in, in, in Maroon and then Kevin Shattenkirk, of course, Luke, Luke Witowski, um, Witowski and, then, and then Luke Shen, who just played his first game the other night. Of those, uh, sort of, how do you rate what their impact have been if any uh, really so far because as I mentioned one has just played his first game yes well Shannon's just played his first game it's a little hard to rate him as you said Witkowski sure. um, really brings some versatility um, in that he's playing he was playing forward and then once they had injuries he went back to his natural position at defenseman um, 
the combination of Witkowski and Maroon on the third line just brings another level of physicality and energy. Um, and Cedric Paquette, well, we knew he had physicality and energy, even if he is the smallest of the three. Uh, so that fourth line is a really good unit. The other night, Witkowski sat, Maroon was hurt, so that fourth line took on a more speed feel like what we saw more often last year rather than that physical. So we've seen that the Lightning can do both depending on um, which new players they slot in where. Uh, Shattenkirk has brought some offense on the blue line. Um, he's got a good shot and he has a good sense of when to use it. Uh, he's, you know, had two assists the other night, um, and has really just shown a good sense of, of, uh, of when to use, uh, his offensive skills where he fits defensively has been a question just because we're not sure where anybody fits defensively right now, even before these injuries, the, blue line the pairs have been uh something of a merry-go-round or musical chairs and um i'm just waiting for the mcdonough sergachev pair it's the only combination we haven't seen yet and i really want to see what that would do for sergachev's development in what whatever it is that they're look, waiting for him um to see from him and he's obviously not a new player but um my, my little segue to uh, how the defensive pairings haven't settled at all. Well, that would be a good one to watch for sure. Okay, after the Islanders game, you will be headed with the Lightning to Sweden, uh, where the Lightning will play. First of all, sort of what is uh, an opportunity like this mean to the franchise to take the game uh, again internationally? And and I got to imagine this is all going to be uh, you know a, a homecoming of sorts. For Victor Hedman, um, how excited is he to go back there? It definitely is a homecoming of sorts. Um, he, it's a little interesting because he's not from Stockholm. Stockholm doesn't have the same kind of home significance, but to bring his team in the Lightning to his country uh, mm. really means a lot to him, and especially as he's been with the Lightning for so long. He's played with these guys for so long. It really is a sense of bringing your friends home with you. And yeah. we all love doing that. So mm-hmm. he's really excited for this. It's a really great opportunity for him. Some of the players, you know, hockey is such an international sport. They've all played internationally. Some of them have played in Sweden. Some of them haven't. Um, but it's just kind of a fun opportunity. I mean, who's going to turn down a trip to Sweden at any point, um, whether or not it's in the middle of your season or conveniently timed or anything. So everyone's really looking forward to this. It'll be interesting to see how it breaks up the season. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, every people talk about it as a, a further bonding experience and a way to break up the grind. Um, even if it is a, uh, a, uh, trip, you know, relatively well of crossing the Atlantic mid season to play a, a game in this case too, um, can be tiring, but it's also just such a great experience that they're all looking forward to it. And for Victor to have a chance to play with his team in his home country, is something that uh, he said from the start was really special for him. It's obviously a good trip for for the organization and for all those players, and especially Victor Hedman and Diana Neros. We'll be there bringing you all that from Sweden and the atmosphere and the sights and the sounds. You can read her on TampaBay.com as always. Thanks, Diana. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. One other thing before we go, congratulations to the Washington Nationals, and how about Davey Martinez 
They win the World Series and do it in a very rare, if not uh, completely unusual way, winning all their games on the road. So I, I believe um, this was the first time in any of the three sports that play seven-game series, so basketball, hockey, and, and uh, baseball, that a seven-game series has gone every road team won. That's just crazy, man. I think there's been 1,400 and some series of those in those histories of those sports. First time ever. Yes, this is nuts. Um, But they did it. I'll tell you what. uh, Astros manager A.J. Hinch is going to rue the inning that he took Zach Greinke out with about 80 pitches. Um, Zach Greinke was dominant. I don't know that you could have ever asked for that out of him in that situation. The breaking ball was sharp. I mean, he was really – uh, had these guys, uh, you know, off balance all pretty much all night, and they get a couple guys, you know, they get a guy on. I just thought it was a quick hook, and you know, um, I don't know. He's going to be second guy. I know he's considered one of the best managers in baseball for a reason. But uh, what do you think, Steve? You think that was? I thought it was quick, but Will Harris has been a a one of your best relievers and a guy yeah. you depend on, and he just didn't come through. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so, you know, you can put players in the best positions, but it doesn't mean they always come through in the, the clutch either. So, um, yeah, I, I probably would have left Granky, and I'm ten, I tend to be one when you see a pitcher that dominant to to go ahead with it. Um, I yeah, know they right didn't want, they didn't want to bring Garrett Cole in the middle of an inning; they'd rather him start an inning because uh, he was warming. But yeah, I mean, they're going to second guess it because it didn't work. Yeah. Of course. And I, I was listening to Joe Madden. He was on the other day uh, on the radio. He's back in town now doing his thanksmas things. And he was talking to Dave, Davey Martinez. Um, but one of the things he said about, you know, he kept he kept repeating this, and this might be what AJ was thinking is, hey, remember, there's no game eight. <laughs> so, yep. like, if you're going to make a move, you make it a little bit earlier, right, because you absolutely, you know, can't go too long with anybody. You've got to be, um, you know, just, just very – um, sort of committed, you know, to uh, to moving forward. If somebody starts to struggle, you know, you can't. There's there's no let's let them work out of this kind of thing. So that might have been in his back of his mind. You know, he yep. got pretty much everything he could ask for from Grinky, and maybe didn't want to have to ask him to do much more. But man, credit credit the uh, the national. What a resilient team. I mean, you think about where they came from. You know, and it just goes to show you, man. I mean, baseball is great that way, you know, and this is the whole thing about the wild card that they added. You know, normally back in the day they wouldn't have made the postseason, and here they are. Uh, they come on and uh, and beat some some 100-win teams in the Dodgers and the Astros. I mean, it's really cool. They were the second team ever to be 12 games or more below 500 and win the World Series. Mm. They were 19-31, and 31, and there was talk about Davey Martinez losing his job. The only right. other team was the, I believe it was the 1914 Boston Braves. So, I mean, that's, you know, 12 games under to win the World Series. That's that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and there, you know, there was, Davey went through a lot, of course, with a bad start. And then he had some heart problems. And he told his team last night they cured that for him. But uh, really was cool to watch. So, yeah. Uh, Love, love seeing the Nats win that one. Uh, it's going to be a busy weekend. We mentioned uh, Florida, Georgia, of course, FSU, Miami, and then you've got uh, the Bolts uh, wrapping up their New York swing. They'll be on the island against the Islanders. And then, of course, we got on Sunday, Bucks at Seattle. Can they uh, begin to right the ship? You know, the players are all mad now. They're going to play angry. So maybe that will translate into something well. It's going to be a, a gorgeous weekend out there. So weather will not be an excuse. We're here every Monday through Friday. We appreciate you guys listening. Of course, we'll wrap up the weekend on Monday morning. Hope to hear from you or see you then or you'll listen then. 
Uh, for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.